We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice-cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack-A-Day Podcast. And we are back on a Thursday edition of the Pack-A-Day Podcast through the middle of the week and one day closer to game day. We will be waiting all day for Sunday night this week. And I have two very special guests with me today. (laughs) I have, of course... Maggie Loney, and more importantly, perhaps her wonderful cat. So, Maggie, go ahead and introduce your lovely pet to us. My cat has made an appearance a number of times on Game On and packs what she said, uh, but this is Miranda. I normally call her Mo, and she's always in my way when I'm trying to record. So, and I get it again. This might be her first. I don't know. We can't confirm or deny if it's her first pack of the appearance. <laughs> so, we're going to say that it was. And it's a good appearance for her to make because the Packers are 2-0 and after beating up on the Detroit Lions 42-21. to And now they head in to the Louisiana Superdome for a showdown with the New Orleans Saints. The new 1-1 one and one New Orleans Saints after a bit of a surprising loss in Las Vegas against John Gruden's Las Vegas Raiders, uh, even though Aaron Rodgers called them Oakland today. So that was a little surprising to see that. A little bit of news to get out of the way from Wednesday's practice. Devontae Adams, who left the game with a hamstring injury, uh, did not return after about the midway point of the third quarter. He did not practice on Wednesday, said a decision will be made later this week, so that will be something to monitor. And Kenny Clark did not practice with a groin injury, so that will remain to be seen how that goes. Maggie, let's 
let's play a little game, I guess, with that. You can only choose your fighter. You can only okay. choose one. You can only choose one to play on Sunday night. I think we'll pick the same one. But which one are you picking? Kenny Clark. Yeah, it's Kenny Clark. I think <laughs> it has to be Kenny Clark. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's nothing against Devonte. Like Aaron Rodgers said, he's he's so damn talented, and he's one of their best players. But they uh they he's more replaceable, if you will, than than Kenny Clark is, as we kind of saw on Sunday afternoon. But the Packers will be taking on Drew Brees, Alvin Kamara, and of course future Hall of Famer and legend Taysom Hill <laughs> on Sunday Night Football in the Louisiana Superdome, Mercedes-Benz Superdome, I think is what they call it now. I'll still always call it the Louisiana Superdome. The site of my first football memory and the first football memory of a lot of Packers fans my age, and that would be Super Bowl thirty-one. So that is special in that way as well. But this game is kind of a big one because I think what we've learned, and there's not a whole lot you can learn through the first two weeks, and that's probably especially true this season with teams not having a preseason, having a interesting training camp uh, or almost – uh, no training camp, I guess, if you really want to call it that. It's, it was really kind of a weird thing all the way around. But the Packers have played two of what I think, as of right now, are two of the worst teams in football. Minnesota can't get out of their own way. And Detroit, well, they're Detroit. And it was so funny on Sunday watching everybody up in arms at 14-3. to And Granted, I am basing this entirely on my Twitter timeline, but <laughs> – my Twitter timeline was an absolute disaster, and Maggie, I assume we follow a lot of the same people, but oh, yeah. going through all that and watching the game declared over, or the Packers 1-1 one and one when the score is 14-3, to three, and then for them to rip off 31 consecutive points and to go on a, I think it ended up amounting, let's see, math, 39-7 to seven run <laughs> to close out the game. The Lions are the Lions, and as that game progressed, I think there's anything that I've learned about that is the Lions are always going to be the Lions. Uh, at least as long as Matt Patricia is there, which is what I'm going to look at. Let's see, it's September, uh, January will hit, and he'll get fired. So for about three and a half more months, so cherish him while he is here <laughs> because eventually uh, the way that I saw it over the weekend is who is going to be the team that gets tricked into hiring Brian Schottheimer, that's the offensive coordinator for the Seattle Seahawks, and why is it the Detroit Lions? So that was funny. Uh, it was Peter Bukowski <laughs> who tweeted that via Jason Hirschhorn, so I had a chuckle off of that. But Maggie, real quick, obviously it's Thursday now, so we didn't get a chance to talk about the game a little bit. Just some general impressions, I guess, before we move into this weekend's game, obviously. But what were your thoughts coming out of a another big division win and the home opener? Sorry, my cat is just wrecking my life over here. She's trying to slap my pen off the desk. She thinks that a nail in the wall is a bug, so she's trying to get the, the nail bug. But well, It very well could be. <laughs> You know, cannot confirm or deny. But, yeah, I mean, I think one of my takeaways was that uh, Kirksey and Chris Barnes, you know, I thought they looked good in the opener, but I think they look um, – I thought they looked almost better again against the Lions. Uh, Kirksey had a really nice block um, on TJ Hawkinson for like a one-yard gain. And, you know, given the history at the middle linebacker position the last couple seasons, feels like that's a play that doesn't get made since the Packers were historically gashed in the middle of the field by tight ends and running backs. Um, I agree with you, obviously, that, you know, Kenny Clark, I think, would make a world of difference for this defense, especially against players like Alvin Kamara. But I thought that the defense kind of locked in when they needed to. I think we kind of saw initially, like week one, what the offense could do. But, you know, it was a little bit of a concern that the the defense let the Vikings back into that game late. So the fact that they kind of locked up, I think it was Chandon Sullivan that had said, like, 
look, we we shored things up. We were pretty unsatisfied with what happened, you know, during the first half, and we realized we had to go make some plays in the second half. And then he, of course, had the pick six with the Rashawn Gary pressure. So, you know, I think there were a lot of really good things to build on there. And I think that, you know, I agree with you that the Lions and the Vikings were not necessarily the test for this team, and I think that that's going to come on Sunday. Yeah, it was a proud dad weekend for me. My daughter turned one on Friday. Obviously, my son had two sacks on Sunday, so that was nice to see. And forced to pick six with the pressure as well. So thank you to Rashawn for capping off a wonderful weekend. I'm so proud of you and can't wait. I'm uh, I'm so proud to be your dad. So thank you for that, Rashawn. And I, I look forward to uh, another big game this weekend. I, I had a chance to speak today, and I think that what we've learned is my thought on this defense uh, kind of moving forward is they're built – very similarly to Peyton Manning's Indianapolis Colts teams. And what I mean by that is they're built to be ahead and their best players are pass rushers and cornerbacks. And their best players, I mean, you go down the list, it's very simple. You start at the top and we got Zadarius Smith and then Kenny Clark and Preston Smith, Rashawn Gary, Jair Alexander. I'm not putting them in order, obviously, but Kevin King. And then you get to Amos and Savage. And I haven't mentioned a lot of, well, Kenny Clark is a unicorn, but defensive (laughs) tackles and run defenders and inside linebackers, this team is built to get after the quarterback and intercept passes and sack the quarterback. So this team's built to get ahead. And the problem that they could run into is if they're in those close games like that or they're behind, and behind later in the game where a team can be forced or able to just kind of ram the ball down their throat, which Sean Payton will commit to the running game, and that's something that we can get to as we talk about the Saints game as well, is they have two very capable backs. This Packers and Saints teams are built very similarly, uh, which is something we can talk about as well because – I wrote a story earlier this week for Game On, and I said that basically the Saints have skated by on the same criticisms that the Packers have faced for 10 years. And let's actually move into that a little bit because we'll talk about the matchups, and I know you guys want to hear about that. But this is a topic I think that is interesting because the topic, let's move into 2009, the Saints win the Super Bowl. The very next year, the Packers win the Super Bowl. And from that point forward, the Packers have played for three NFC titles. They've made the playoffs every year but two. One of them, Mike McCarthy, got fired after, and Aaron Rodgers played with a broken leg. The other one, Rodgers missed a vast majority of that season with a broken collarbone. The Saints have missed the playoffs three times. They finished seven and nine, three consecutive seasons. They've made one other NFC championship game, albeit you can argue a blown pass interference call away from going to the Super Bowl. That being said, my counterargument is they had a 10-point lead at home against Jared Goff and the Rams. They should have won that game if they're a great team, too. They had the ball first in overtime, and Drew Brees threw an interception. Those are two of my arguments. Last year, they lost a home playoff game to the Kirk Cousins-led Minnesota Vikings. The Saints have, by any objective measure, been less successful than the Packers over this 10-year span. Yet, the Saints are seen as this darling of an organization that have put everything together and everything in position for Drew Brees to be successful. Sean Payton's this innovative genius. And on the other side, Mike McCarthy is this blubbering buffoon. Granted, Mike McCarthy's not here anymore. I understand that. But Mike McCarthy is a blubbering buffoon. The Packers organization has wasted Aaron Rodgers' prime. I'm sure you guys have heard all the talking points by this point. My point was, I think the argument of wasting the quarterback is stupid. I think winning a championship is hard to do in general. And I think Tom Brady and Bill Belichick have kind of skewed what's, what that looks like. But the Saints don't get that criticism. And I'm curious to what your thoughts are as to why that might be the case. So what are your theories on that? I mean, there's no denying that Drew Brees is a Hall of Famer. He won a Super Bowl. But I think, to me, there's almost this perception that, like, 
Aaron Rodgers has like this legacy around him that we don't see with a lot of other quarterbacks. Like, you know, Russell Wilson is a really talented quarterback and granted he's been to two Super Bowls, but he lost one of them. They've kind of been hamstrung in the playoffs lately, not making deep pushes. And, you know, they don't get any of that same kind of flack. And I think it's because Aaron Rodgers, since his draft day, has kind of, you know, fallen into this legacy behind Bart Starr, behind Brett Favre. There's expectations. It's title town. And because he is a talent that many of us had never seen before, you know, now you can argue that, like, Pat Mahomes is at that same kind of talent caliber. I think that there is just this perception from the media that anything that is not Aaron Rodgers winning six Super Bowls is not enough. And as Packers fans, obviously, we would all agree that we would love to see Aaron Rodgers get many, many Super Bowls, and then he rides off into the sunset retiring a Packer because that's the narrative that we all deserve. But, you know, it's just, it's like you said, winning championships are hard, and I think we've seen, you know, with the Seahawks and the Saints and some of these other, you know, high caliber teams with offensive weapons and, you know, masterful quarterbacks is the ability to spend money. And that's also something that's been lacking from this Packers organization, honestly, kind of up until Brian Gutekunst took the reins and we saw him make four free agent splashes in one season. But I think that that's honestly a big part of it is just, you know, the expectations differ for Rodgers because they've differed from the beginning because at his time, None of us had ever seen anything like that from a talent perspective. Yeah, and that's true. And in terms of talent, he might still be the most talented quarterback to ever pick up a football, and and that's certainly fair. I just, again, I I think it's a crazy argument. I would never ever make the argument the Saints have wasted the quarterback, but I will make that joke every single time <laughs> the Saints lose in the playoffs. And trust me, and quote me on that. Uh, but I look forward to this weekend's game because it really is kind of a matchup of, you know, like I said, these are two teams that have been basically kind of the same since 2011, if you want to take away their two championship seasons, but the Packers have been more successful and there's no arguing that. And Aaron Rodgers is better than Drew Brees. And I want everybody to hear that shouted from the rooftops because the only thing Drew Brees does better than Aaron Rodgers is collect volume stats. And I don't mean that to be disrespectful to Drew Brees because I think he's a first ballot hall of famer, like you said, but that being said, there's nothing Drew Brees does at the quarterback position better than Aaron Rodgers. And that is where a lot of the focus is going to go this weekend. However, I think what is going to be more important is what the guys around them yeah. are able to do. And our matchup, obviously, and our topic this week is the Packers defense against the Saints offense. Now, this is a kind of a classic discussion anytime they come up because the Saints offense presents a lot of challenges to any team that they've played. They've had a couple of decent games. They had an okay game against Tampa Bay, and they had an okay game against the Raiders. Uh, they scored a garbage-time touchdown against uh, the Raiders on Monday night. Otherwise, they would have scored 17 points. They had a pick six against Tampa Bay, which also upped their point total. So they haven't been your high-flying, explosive Saints offense that's uber-efficient and able to move the ball up and down the field. I personally believe the key to this game, and I think it's crazy to say this, is that I think Mike Pettin has to actually kind of change his spots a little bit. And what I mean by that is he's the leopard, and he has to change his spots and squeeze this field down. Mike Pettin has been so guarded against the big play, and I understand that. His overall strategy and his thought process, I understand that. I understand giving up some run defense to cover the pass. The Packers defense won a Super Bowl by doing that in 2010. Dom Capers did the same exact thing. They played light boxes. They didn't really care if he ran the ball on them that much. Granted, they weren't one of the worst run defenses in the league that year, 
they were middle of the pack. They were one of the best pass defenses in the league, and the Packers' pass defense hasn't been that so far this year, but they do have the potential to be that. I think you have to squeeze the field. I think you have to try and keep Alvin Kamara and Latavius Murray contained in the running game and condense that field as much as possible. Very similarly to the way that teams played the Packers in 2015, for example, after Jordy Nelson got hurt. There was no deep speed that anybody respected. The Saints really don't have a speed threat like that without Ted Ginn. And Drew Brees, I think I saw the stat today, has completed or hasn't completed a pass over 20 air yards this season. So he's never been a deep ball thrower, but when you can't stretch the field at all, that's a problem. So that, to me, is the biggest key to the game here. Maggie, what are your thoughts on just kind of keeping everything, instead of keeping everything in front of them, maybe taking a few more chances and trying to condense that field as much as possible to make things a little harder on Breeze that way? Yeah, I think um, we're thinking about the same stat, but it was something to, like, he had only completed three passes longer than 10 yards, like, he's averaging like 5.7 yards of completion or some something bananas like that, where it's just, you know, it's a dink and dunk down the field. And I will say, you know, the dink and dunk is what cost me a fantasy football win this week, Talvin Kamara and his garbage time touchdown. But, you know, I think that that is something that the Packers are going to have to keep in mind is that middle of the field, the ability to, like you said, if you're playing deep or if they get into any type of situation where they're playing prevent and they can just march down the field six yards at a time with Alvin Kamara kind of slipping out the backfield on wheel routes or, you know, it from the slot in the middle of the field. Like, that's going to be the Achilles heel of this defense. And, you know, we agreed that Kenny Clark is a big factor in that, but I think another element to that is just getting enough pressure on Drew Brees because we know that he's not mobile. And, you know, if you have Rashawn and Preston off the edge and you bring Z's like your roaming nose tackle, we talked about that a little bit with Matt Stafford last week. I think that generating that pressure is going to be important because, you know, if you have Zadarius Smith trying to generate pressure up the middle, and that also can somewhat eliminate some of those running lanes. And, you know, he doesn't have, like, the the mass like a Kenny Clark to necessarily make some of these key uh, key run defenses. But I think that that's kind of, you know, the idea. And, you know, Christian Kirksey and Chris Barnes, that you're going to need that athleticism and the speed in the middle of the defense. So, yeah, I mean, I think I think Alvin Kamara is, like, the linchpin of the success of the offense, especially not having Michael Thomas. And, you know, it still sounds unlikely that he's going to get the go-ahead to play on Sunday. So, you know, even Jared Cook, I mean, he looks good. I know Packers fans, you know, still kind of miss him from time to time and expect big things from him. Um, he has had some really key uh, receptions and moments for the Saints in his career there, but kind of quiet, I think, so far this season for him too. And it just kind of feels like everything is funneling through Alvin Kamara. Yeah, I think he's going to be the key to their offense this week. And he's the type of player that has typically given the Packers fits in the very recent past. And he matches up well with them. I mean, the Packers yeah. don't they don't have a guy like Eric Hendricks. I know Christian Kirksey has been better than Blake Martinez has in that role, but that's still not his strongest suit in the games. Right. Even if it's Will Redmond or Raven Green or somebody like that, Alvin Kamara is somebody that when he's on the field in the passing game, you're hoping to put him up against one of your cornerbacks, a defensive back, somebody like that. So I wonder if that's something Patton will counter with. You mentioned Michael Thomas, and that is huge. Yeah. Michael Thomas is one of the best receivers in all of football. And if he plays, that is one of the matchups that I circled at the beginning of the season because in order for Jair Alexander to make that leap into stardom, and I think Packers fans, I think we were all a little premature after last season to just say Jair's already there, like he's arrived. And 
I don't think he has just yet, but I think this first two games he certainly had some very nice moments, and if he continues that moving forward through the rest of this season, he will be there. One of the ways to do that is taking on the other team's best receiver, and you don't have to shut him down, but don't get Amari Cooper like he did a season ago either. Figure out a way to kind of limit that game, make it where it's an absolute battle from start to finish. I would love to see him go up against Michael Thomas. I think that would be the one of the matchups of the absolute evening, and it's Drew Brees' security blanket. You know, I know you mentioned Jared Cook. They don't use him the same way that they did Jimmy Graham as like that security blanket, high-volume tight end. Really, it is kind of the way the criticism that people give Aaron Rodgers for of when he looks around, he looks for 17. Well, when Drew Brees is in trouble, he looks for number 13. And I'm curious to see, what did you see on Monday night? I know it's a one-game sample, but he didn't have Michael Thomas for the entire game on Monday night. Did you see him struggling or like he was missing his security blanket? And is that something that is going to be a big deal on Mon- on Sunday if he plays? Is that something he'll even be, if he's limited, is that something that can even be a big factor? Yeah, I mean, I would say that he had kind of that same, you know, it was it was a good comp to say, you know, like the Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams thing. But I think what we saw was, you know, the four games last season where Devontae wasn't playing, it kind of forced Aaron Rodgers to spread the ball around. And I don't know if now having a game under his belt, we'll kind of see something different from Drew Brees knowing that he kind of has to spread the ball around more without having like a key uh, player for his targets. But I think now the security blanket, honestly, is just Alvin Kamara. And I think a lot of that has to do, like you talked about already with the deep passes and his unwillingness, I guess, to kind of force the ball down the field. And not that he really has a deep threat right now, like you were saying, you know, he's, he's missing that speed on that offense, which is significant, but I think, you know, I I kind of said it a little bit already that it's going to be a lot of dink and dunk. And I think Alvin Kamara is, going to be kind of the key to that because I think you know the Packers are going to need to generate a significant amount of pressure we saw that that's what was working for the Raiders is you know getting Drew Brees uncomfortable and making him make mistakes and force throws and things like that and a a way to do that is to eliminate that middle of the field and you know like you said I don't think you want Kirksey or Barnes to be the coverage guy for Alvin Kamara at least not for more than like a second or two. You know, you don't want Drew Brees to have the ability to scramble or step up in the pocket and, you know, really uh, put some accuracy on his throws. So to me, I think that that's significant. And, you know, going to the secondary, you talked about Jair and Michael Thomas. I think it's worth mentioning that Kevin King has, you know, he's looked bored at times. I know that's not true, but it's kind of been surprising to see the game plan going into these first couple weeks being to target Jair Alexander because, you know, you would think it would almost be the other way around where Kevin King has had more interceptions, but he also lets up more big plays. And, you know, we saw what Jair has done in his first two games. So the fact that Kevin King hasn't even been targeted, you know, these first couple weeks more than a couple times has been really surprising to me and not, I think, what we expected going into this season. Yeah, outside of one play that I can think of where I think it was a slant to B.C. Johnson in the first game against Minnesota, and I could be missing the receiver, but it was a play where he got beat on the slant and then he missed the tackle and it turned into a bigger game than it should have been. Outside of that, Kevin King has been a brick and absolutely rock solid in these first two games and really making you wonder, you know, we keep talking about these guys to get contracts and David Bakhtiari had a quote that's, I don't know if it's gone viral, but... Dan Plucker from 105.7 The Fan. Actually, it's Dan Plucker. He corrected me on that the first time, so I apologize, Dan. But 105.7 The Fan in Milwaukee said, 
he basically said if they want to get a deal done, they can get a deal done with him, Aaron Jones, Kevin, whoever. They can figure out a way to do that if they want to do that. Well, we've basically been talking about that with David Bakhtiari and Aaron Jones, and Kevin King is somebody who's gotten lost in the shuffle in that way, and I think it's been widely assumed might be the wrong word, but maybe understood that Kevin King is not going to be around after this season just because he's had that injury history, maybe not somebody you want to bet on long-term. But I don't think there's been any denying that when Kevin King has been healthy, he's been more good than bad. And this year he's certainly been almost all good other than, like you said, the one thing. And it's not like they were playing some rookie quarterback last week that couldn't find Kevin King's mistakes. That's Matthew Stafford. It's not a bad quarterback. That's a very good player back there. So that's something... If Michael Thomas plays, that might be a matchup that Kevin King could certainly be up to the task for as well because he does match up well with those big physical receivers that way as well. You mentioned pressure on the quarterback. That's something that I think might be – Breeze is always a difficult guy to sack just because the ball gets out of his hand so quick because even at Breeze's peak of his powers, he's always been a bit of a dink and dunker. And finding those – it's kind of annoying too. Like I hate – it's so smart and they execute it so well, but it's kind of like Tom Brady. It's just so annoying because it's death by a thousand paper cuts, and they just execute it so yeah. well. But he's he's such a dink and dunker. And I think something that – I know this is going to sound crazy coming out of my mouth initially, but somebody that could have an impact this week is someone like Dean Lowry. And I mean that because just getting your arms up in the passing lanes and batting down passes. Dean Lowry's had a knack for that in his career. That's something that he's been good at. That's something he could potentially have an impact on this weekend. And I think that's where you're going to have to see some of these pass rushers making plays because otherwise, Breeze holds the ball two and a half seconds, it's out of his hand. So getting big plays from Zadarius and Preston Smith and Rashawn Gary this weekend, that might be a bit of a tough go. And one name that I mentioned there, Maggie, is Preston Smith. And through two weeks, he has half a sack, didn't register a tackle, wasn't even in the box score against Minnesota, which, I mean, take that for what it's worth. But Kind of quiet against Detroit as well. And these are games where the Packers have had significant leads and really just been able to pin their ears back and rush the passer. Any concern at all over Preston Smith's relatively slow start? I don't think I would call it a concern. Um, when Zadarius and Preston had their last joint interview, or maybe it was like a couple interviews ago, I thought it was really interesting. Um, Zadarius had mentioned that Preston hates when they're rushing from the same side. And a lot of it is because when they're rushing from opposite edges, you kind of get the pick your poison where you can only double team one of us. So whoever you don't double team is likely going to generate some pressure and maybe get a sack. And I've noticed from Patton, you know, with, you know, the emergence of Rashawn Gary, it seems like Z and P are rushing off the same side more frequently than they were last season. And, you know, I didn't go back and watch every snap and count this out to, to verify, but it, it definitely was something that stood out to me the first couple of games and, you know, now missing Kenny Clark with, Zedarius kind of roaming, I feel like Preston's not getting as many opportunities to win his one-on-ones. Um, I think it was it was towards the goal line. Uh, you know, Rashawn was getting, like, triple teamed, and the way that they had triple – or, no, it was Zedarius was getting triple teamed, and they basically formed a wall where Preston was trying to rush behind Z, and he couldn't break into that or, you know, get free because they had generated a triple team for Zedarius. So I do think that there's a little bit of that, but – you know, at the same time, you have Rashawn Gary, who's now winning his one-on-ones and his double teams and has looked really impressive. So I think a lot of it, too, is just the role they're being asked to play. Perry Goldstein, uh, the light of my life, had a tweet a couple days ago about how you don't necessarily want Preston Smith dropping into coverage as your middle linebacker. And I know he did that successfully a couple times last season. He had the interception on a deflected pass against the Vikings. I think that's what sticks out to people is, like, the role he's meant to play, and I know he did it in Washington a little bit, but 
not something that you want to see dialed up too frequently. So I think it's just the way that Mike Patton is utilizing him. And, you know, with the emergence of Rashawn Gary and the amount of pressure he's created, I'd be curious to see kind of what that snap count looks like moving forward, because I'm not, I'm not saying Rashawn's going to overtake him on the snap total or anything, but I do think that there's kind of, you know, some some ways that Patton is using him that maybe we didn't see last season that are attributing to this slow start. Yeah, that'll be interesting and remains to be seen because obviously he's a dynamic player. We know that. I mean, he was one of their best players on defense last season. It's been a little underrated, uh, I think. Kind of lost in the shuffle, I guess. He's not as vocal as the Darius Smith was. Doesn't have that same personality. So the attention that he got wasn't quite the same. That maybe Top 100 player in the NFL, apparently, though. That's very oh. <laughs> true. So he got, yeah, he got that. I, I suppose uh, that's that's recognition. So that's that was a good thing, and that was nice to see. So definitely need him to start uh, maybe racking up some of those numbers as well. I I'm not worried. Uh, it's one of those I'll worry if it's still a thing in week six or seven. Um, then it, then it might be something to worry about. I think that it might be is he still getting his legs underneath him kind of thing too. So we'll see if that's the case. But as long as there Zadarius has played well, Rashawn Gary has played well. When they get Kenny Clark back, he was playing well in his 15-snap sample size that we have, and you know that's going to be there. Preston Smith will be fine. Uh, yes, you mentioned Perry Goldstein uh, in that tweet. I responded, please make pass rushers move forward. I, I like when they run at the quarterback. And if I'm paying a pass rusher $12 million a year, I would like him to chase the quarterback. I don't. The one interception, like you mentioned, that was cool. That was awesome. Um, line, Christian Kirksey can catch that pass too. Yep. Like Darnell Savage made that play. It was just Preston Smith's arms happened to be there. So that was fine. That was cool. Um, so here's the question, Maggie, and I we know this is going to happen, right? So it's it's kind of a, a revenge game, if you will, for Taysom Hill, Jared Cook, and Ty Montgomery, all three former Packers. Between those three, how many touchdowns do they score on Sunday night? Just one. One? Okay. I say Taysom Hill throws a touchdown to Jared Cook. I just – that's – totally going to happen. When the schedule came out, that's exactly what I said was going to happen. But that's what I think. I would like to see none of that happen because the Taysom Hill thing is just so annoying and I hate it. But Tell me how you really feel. I hate it. I hate it. I do. <laughs> I do because the Packers were never going to use Taysom Hill the way Sean Payton does. Right. And the Saints don't even think Taysom Hill is a quarterback because if they did – then they wouldn't be signing Teddy Bridgewater and Jameis Winston and all these dudes to play quarterback because if Drew Brees got hurt and they thought Taysom Hill was the quarterback, then they would let him play quarterback. But they don't. So there's your answers. Their actions tell you how they feel about those things. We're at the end of our time slot here, Miss Maggie, so let's get to our predictions for Sunday's game. Packers-Saints at 7:20 kickoff in New Orleans. It's a road game and is not a true road game. The first time we went through this a while ago, Originally, there were going to be fans in the stands. That has changed. There will be no fans. So it is a road game, but more of a neutral site, I guess, by that standard without the fans in the stands. So what are your thoughts? Who wins and why? I mean, I like that you mentioned all three of those players because historically they're the types of players that give this Packers defense fits. Taysom Hill has that, you know, weird H-back, fullback, tight end skill set quarterback, um, wildcats abound, I'm sure, Sunday night. Uh, Ty Montgomery, I mean, he had a couple nice plays on uh, Monday night, but he also had a couple drops, at least one drop. And, you know, I I root for guys like that because, you know, I don't think that his career should be defined by 
his performance in the Rams game. But, I mean, he is the type of player that you think Matt LaFleur would have really enjoyed utilizing. He would look really good in this new Matt LaFleur offense. So I think that he can be a dynamic player for the Saints on Sunday night if they choose to use him in that capacity, kind of up to his potential. But to me, I think it's close. I think Kenny Clark makes a, a world of difference for this defense um, because, you know, we, we agreed that pressure is kind of key here. I think Devontae Adams does play. I, I was, this was one that, you know, was circled uh, on the calendar as an L initially, but I'm, I'm changing my mind. I think that there is uh, a lot to like with this matchup with the, with the unfortunate injuries that are taking place. I'm not saying like, hey, we're glad Michael Thomas got hurt. I don't necessarily think that he's going to be able to play. I could see him trying and being limited and it could end up being like an Adam Thielen thing from last season where he tries to force it and then has to keep leaving games because he's, you know, prolonging the injury instead of letting it heal. So I am feeling 28-24. I think it's going to be close. I think there might be a garbage time touchdown by the Saints to close in the score, but I think it's going to be close. I think the Packers pull it out, but I don't think we're going to see a 40-burger. And if we do, I will, I don't know. I'll, Save I'll your be, head? No, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> Save the head shave for uh, Sanjay Murthy, for those of you guys that missed that. It looks good on him, though. I'm surprised, I guess, but he pulled it off. It looks good on him. But, okay, uh, here's a hot take for you guys. You mentioned Ty Montgomery and a player that might be good in a Matt LaFleur offense. I think Ty Montgomery would be better in the Tyler Irvin role than Tyler Irvin is. So... And I'm not saying that as disrespectful to Tyler Urban either. That's just something I think would be kind of a cool thing to see. We'll never know. I'm glad Tyler Urban's here, and we'll just kind of leave it at that. But my take is, and I said this earlier today, it's on the radio, so it's on the record, and so i got to stick with it, I guess. I had this game circled as a loss as well at the beginning of the season, and I am sticking to it. So you mentioned Kenny Clark makes a world of difference. I don't know if Devontae Adams is going to play. It seems to me that quarterbacks that are old and washed up seem to have renaissance games against this Packers defense for whatever yes. reason. You go back to 2015, Peyton Manning was old and his arm could barely move, and his best game of his life, it felt like, was against that Packers defense. And that Packers defense in 2015 was good. Like, that wasn't like a 2011 Packers defense. That was a good Packers defense that year. Uh, Phillip Rivers last year had a good game. Tom Brady, two years ago, he's been washed for a few years. He had a good game. Drew Brees is hearing all this conversation how he can't play anymore. He's no good. And he's going to come out, and he's going to have a renaissance-type game. I think Alvin Kamara makes just enough plays to do just enough on third down. The Packers keep it close. I think that's kind of one of those back-and-forth kind of games. Breeze gets the ball last, unfortunately. I think they kick a field goal as time expires, and we get a little bit of a gut punch early in the year before a Monday night game against Atlanta, which should also be wildly entertaining. But I'll take the Saints 31-28 to and hope like hell I'm wrong, because after all the bad, mean stuff I've said about the Saints, I think that would come really bad if they ended up losing. So... We're out of time. That was the end of this episode, our Thursday crew. Jimmy's not here. He is tending to a sick daughter, so we hope that Hadley's feeling better very, very soon. I want to thank you guys for listening to the podcast. You can follow that on Twitter, at Packaday Podcast. Maggie, you want to follow – we want to follow your work. Got to butcher that. You want to follow <laughs> your work. Where can we find that? I mean, I could list everything that I'm doing, but it's it's easiest to just follow me on – Twitter at Maggie J. Loney. You can find my work with Game on Wisconsin, which she said TV, and uh, with PAX, which she said, which, you know, is the baby of my life. So, And you can find me. I am at Jacob Westendorf and pretty much, well, Game on Wisconsin, Packer Report. And the cool bit of news I had today is Blake Westendorf got her first bit of mail. She is <laughs> number 
137,048 on the Packers season ticket waiting list. So I look forward to her moving up on that list in the very near future. Guys, thank you for listening. We look forward to doing this again next week when the Packers take on the Atlanta Falcons. And hopefully they will be 3-0. and uh, Maggie likes the Packers to win. I am being a fuddy-duddy and picking them to lose. But thank you guys for listening, and go Pack Go! Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.